This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we start, this episode contains a brief reference to suicide. Please take care while listening. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. In recent years, the Queensland government has repeatedly toughened its approach to young offenders after a series of violent deaths stoked community outrage. As the youth crime crisis deepens in Queensland, a Logan man remains in hospital after being stabbed in a and a rise in vigilante behaviour. Dozens of residents in central Queensland mobbed the homes of suspected young offenders, demanding they answered... Earlier this year, the government even overrode its Human Rights Act in order to arrest and charge more children. This crackdown has filled youth detention centres, with some describing the conditions inside one centre as torturous. Caught in the middle of all this is a group of mostly Indigenous kids whose voices are rarely heard. Today, a 14-year-old speaks out about Queensland's youth crime crackdown. It's Wednesday, the 7th of June. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ben, you've been investigating the youth justice system in Queensland for quite some time now. Why was it important to speak to Indigenous kids at the centre of all this? These kids who are engaged with the youth justice system, some who are engaged in a seemingly endless cycle of crime, are talked about a lot in Queensland. But we rarely hear their voices. So um, you want to just maybe go from the start and tell us how long you're in Cleveland? Well, I'm just like seven, eight, seven, six months here. And it's one of the reasons why I felt it was so important to speak to kids like Ricky. Ben Smee is Queensland correspondent for Guardian Australia. You know, we're talking about kids. We're talking about largely First Nations kids who, when we talk to them, we really learn that they have been kind of set up to fail. Well, apologies, I'm going to go over probably the same questions. You're up, bro. Ricky's an Aboriginal boy from Cairns, aged 14. I was introduced to Ricky through concerned youth workers who were worried about his well-being. While Ricky and his parents consented to an interview so he could tell his side of his story, he didn't want to be identified. So Ricky's not his real name, and the voice you'll hear in this episode is not his real voice. So that all-in-one... Stretch or separate? Separate now, five months and uh, two months. I'm used to lock up. You know, I'm used to that. Yeah. So you spent some time talking with Ricky in Cairns. 
Can you tell me a bit about that experience? When we talked, he sort of lay down on a lounge and and wrapped his arm around a pillow, pulled, pulled a blanket up over him, almost as if he was seeking some security. You've got to remember, he'd only been out of the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre in Townsville for a couple of days at this point and was really still adjusting to life back in the community. Yeah, it's it's a different environment, you know, bro. Like, you know, like I, I couldn't even sleep, you know, the first hour I got out. The state of Queensland has labelled more than 400 children serious repeat offenders and they've implemented a, you know, a series of policies that are really targeted at that group. And they've created a list that in practice is like a blacklist. And we know that Ricky is on that list. What has it been like for Ricky being so young and one of the state's most wanted youth offenders? Well, Ricky's story is really extraordinary. And that's because time and time again, people try to help him out of this system. And what we've seen is that police and the justice system intervene and effectively deny him that help. There's two stories that really illustrate this. The first was when he was 12, when he was offered the chance to get involved in a rehabilitation program. It's a stake-backed program run by First Nations elders in the remote bush. The youth workers involved believed it could be a critical intervention for Ricky at an important time in his life. He wasn't yet a teenager and his criminal behaviour was trending in a pretty troubling direction but the chance was taken from him. So this is what happened. Ricky was released from detention and travelled to the camp. But then the Queensland Police Service appealed his bail, meaning they appealed his release. That appeal went to the Supreme Court, which agreed it should be revoked. Police said that they sensitively negotiated his return to custody, but emails from organisers describe what happened next as horrific. When Ricky was about to be taken by car back to the police, he was told what was happening and he became distressed and tried to flee. He kicked in the windows of the vehicle, he ran into the bush, climbed a tree and attempted suicide. Ultimately, he had no option but to be taken back to the waiting police and placed in custody. How important was that program to Ricky? One of the big things for Ricky is escaping his living circumstances. Do you ever, I mean, mean, do you ever thought about what it would take to stop that habit, to break that habit? Or For me, I reckon the biggest thing would be to move away from Cairns. I've got no good friends, like all my friends are those that are stealing cars and whatnot. I think things to do on the outside, you know, instead of looking at what you're best at, look at something that you could be you know, what you could be, like, good at, another thing you could be good at, you know, like, give yourself options, you know, bro, what to do and, you know, what to do, like, you know, breaking that cycle, you know. So an opportunity like that, giving him the chance to leave town and make new connections could be life-changing. And yet we saw him denied this chance again when he was 13. So last year, youth workers, government agencies... They jointly arranged for Ricky and his father to leave Cairns for a fresh start. Ricky was released from detention and boarded a bus to another town, about eight hours to the south, where he was booked into local accommodation. Plans were made to enrol him in school and link him with support services. Youth Justice and Child Safety signed off, and the police were informed. When Ricky stepped off the bus, he was, in his words, ambushed at the door 
by several local police officers who had been alerted to his relocation plan. They arrested him in relation to an old allegation, which dated prior to his last sin in detention. A youth worker involved in the relocation plan said they believed the charge was a pretext to prevent Ricky's relocation because police would have had ample prior opportunity to pursue it. The impact of all this was to leave the boy feeling hopeless about his prospects. While Ricky was eventually released from custody, he was subject to constant checks by police. He and his father eventually gave up and returned to Cairns. When I asked the Queensland Police Service for comment about the second incident, their spokesperson said, police acted in accordance with relevant legislation, policy and procedures. So the police say that they're just following procedure here in relation to Ricky, but a procedure that denies a young person a chance at rehabilitation and moving on to a new town just really sounds counterproductive, Ben. How does Ricky view the actions of the police? Ricky says he feels targeted by police whenever he goes outside. Yeah, and, like, they just, yeah, they target me. But, like, you know, the other day, me and my big brother, you know, was going to the shop, you know, and and we was doubling on a bike and, like, the coppers, like, they was doing a raid, like, running through houses on the, on the street, um, you know, we, we were driving on and he just sticks his head out the window and he says, oh, you little blacks, you know, jump off the bike or I'll give you a ticket. And he told me one story where he claims police were physically violent and used threatening language. And, like, yeah, like like this other time, you know, like like we, like we was breaking in and whatnot and, and they caught us in the dark in the bush, like, and, bro, like, they tried to tie a shirt around my neck, bro, like, you know, trying to choke me, saying that, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, in, you know, leaving in a body bag, bro, and, man, like, you know, they bashed me right up and, like, I, I couldn't even walk to the police van, bro, like, to jump in and... You know, when I got to the watch house, bro, like they had to drag me along the floor. That's an incredibly serious claim by Ricky. What do the police have to say to that, Ben? Now, I did put this claim to the Queensland police and they didn't comment on the specific incident, but pointed us to their policies and said there were processes in place to ensure that any use of force against a child was reasonable and that it complied with the Human Rights Act. What is all of this meant for Ricky and his offending over the past few years. Ricky says he's been to the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre probably 15 or 16 times since he was 10. So um, can you tell me, like, how many times have you been in Cleveland before this last stretch? I think 16 times. 16 times. Yeah, bro. He says his offending and his involvement in criminal behaviour has escalated, not just in terms of volume, but the seriousness of the offences that he's involved in. If you look at my history now, you know it's like like robberies and like um like car like like speed chases and that. For example, in recent years he's been arrested for violent offences. Like worst burglaries, you know, with like with violence and um and you know like like it's yeah, it's shot for, shot to the roof, you know, like last couple of years, bro. When we spoke earlier this year, he'd been out of the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre for just two days. It feels like a dream to get out. No, it, feel, it feels like a dream come true. You know, you, you get out and you expect to do good, but the only thing you're good at is breaking in and stealing cars and, you know, and that's what you know best. And by the end of that week, he'd be back in custody again, a pattern which is now very familiar for Ricky.
Ben, we know that Queensland has toughened their approach to people like Ricky, introducing laws that some have called the toughest in the nation. What does his story exemplify about this shift in approach from Queensland over the past year or so? The Queensland Police Service have come to be the kind of de facto lead agency in the lives of many of these kids who are entangled in the youth justice system. Now, during this investigation, I spoke to a number of young people, but I also spoke to dozens of people who are on the ground in regional Queensland. We're talking community workers. We're talking people who work for the Youth Justice Department, people who are engaged with these kids. And what they all say is that the reality of frontline policing, particularly for kids who have their card marked, who are on that serious repeat offender blacklist, is one where they encounter very, very blunt policing tactics and they encounter this punitive approach that begins with the policing but then continues through the court system. So, for example, earlier this year, Queensland changed laws to criminalise breaches of bail conditions by children. This means if a young person breaches a bail condition, which might be quite onerous or require them to be present at a house at certain times of the day, that's now considered a criminal offence. However, we know of some stories where that condition is actually fundamentally unsafe for them. It's unsafe for them to be at a particular house or in a particular circumstance. And my colleague Eden Gillespie recently revealed that in two months since Queensland changed the laws, police have charged 169 children with the breach of bail offence. Two-thirds of those charged were First Nations young people. That sounds like a lot, Ben. Is it a lot? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. And it has um, really heightened concerns about the way this breach of bail offence might be used and its impact on a lot of kids. How do people in this system describe the the overall effect of these tough new laws? A couple of months ago, I spoke with Jenny Pryor. Um, She's a Bindle woman, a former commissioner of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission and an elder in the Indigenous community in Townsville. She's compared what she's seen on the street. She calls it a rounding up of First Nations children. She compares that to the removal of members of the Stolen Generations. And what all of this does is it increasingly drives kids and the same kids into the youth justice system, into adult police watch houses where they're spending long periods of time and into youth detention centres. Next, a new dark chapter for Queensland's youth detention centres. Hey, Laura Mefiotes here, one of the hosts of Full Story. It's Guardian Australia's 10th birthday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a special live recording of Full Story at Vivid Sydney in June. We'll be talking about Australia's natural environment and how to save it. I'll be joined by a panel of special guests, including independent senator for the ACT, David Pocock, Dr Dennis Rose, a Gunachamara traditional owner and conservation expert, national co-convener of the Labor Environment Action Network, Felicity Wade, and Guardian Australia's own environment editor, Adam Morton. The event is in Sydney, and you can buy tickets on the Vivid Sydney website right now. Just search for Full Story. Okay, we really hope to see you there.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Ben, the Queensland government unashamedly admits their reforms are aimed at locking up more kids. They say this will reduce crime because kids will get the support that they need inside. What is actually happening? inside Queensland's youth detention centres right now? Well, we're not just seeing a record number of kids in the youth detention system. We're also dealing with a youth detention system, in particular the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre in Townsville, that's chronically understaffed. At the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre, where Ricky spent the majority of his time in detention, staff shortages have resulted in conditions getting worse and worse. Yeah, all this shit been happening there, you know, like, yeah, bro, like it's getting worse, worse. I've heard stories about certain cells uh, where rubbish continues to pile up and up, sometimes over the course of weeks. Stories about food that's kind of left at the doors of cells, simply because there aren't the staff to come around and clean it up in a kind of a timely manner, starts to stink. Oh, it's filthy, bro, like, yeah, it's a filthy place. Staffing issues got so bad that children are being kept for weeks in solitary confinement. It's just like being in a box, you know, a room with a toilet, a window, and, and that's it. The government uses the term separation, which you know, effectively means the kid is confined to their cell. And that includes Ricky. During his last stretch in Cleveland, he says he spent weeks locked in solitary confinement. Being stuck in a cell, you know, like, like to me, like the walls just get to me. Just looking at four walls, you know, not knowing that you can't open the door when you want it to be, like when you want to do stuff, you know. You gotta ask or like, some like you know, some of the boss, you know, and yeah, you know, it's it's not free freedom. Ricky says being in solitary confinement had a severe impact on him. It made me into a very violent person towards people, like. You know, the way I talk to them, the way I act around them, the way that it messes you up. You know, it, it doesn't make you feel the same on the outside. Like, you used to, like, you used to be quiet and whatnot, but, you know, when you get out, you're not the same. And it's just made me feel like it's the end of the world. You know, I don't really care. Like, I just want to hurt people, and, you know, that's the feeling I get because, you know, I'm, I'm a very hurt person too when I'm in there for that long. You know, I hurt a lot in there too, you know. When I'm in there for that long, I think about shit. You know, I could have been this and you know, could have been that. And then you think, now that I'm hurt, I'd, I don't care if I hurt anyone. Yeah, bro, you just go crazy. Others have been kept in 
for even longer periods than Ricky. We know of one 16-year-old girl who we're calling Jenny who spent 47 days locked in her cell for more than 21 hours a day at Cleveland. Courts have compared the treatment of children to the caging of animals. And we know that Queensland government, bureaucrats and ministers were warned about this. There are warnings in court judgments criticising the conditions kids are being kept in. And we know that at least two government ministers were told that the centre was becoming like Guantanamo. That was before conditions deteriorated even further. So Ben, as we've discussed, these detention centres are supposed to be places of rehabilitation. What type of supports would you expect in a youth detention centre? I asked the Department of Youth Justice about this and their spokesperson said that there are a range of educational and rehabilitation programs in youth detention which seek to change behaviours and help young people in those circumstances to make better choices. I know that in the Cleveland Youth Detention Centre, there's a school that has about 30 teachers, about 20 more support staff, and that is supposed to run tailored programs that are designed to curb certain types of reoffending. But what we know from having talked to a number of people within that system is that the way the department says things are supposed to work is not how they're actually working in reality. During Ricky's most recent time in Cleveland, he said the most he was able to get was a single worksheet. But, like, there was nothing for me to do, you know, like, that's why I asked for schoolwork, you know, because I'm a bit educated in the head, but, like, because I'm very bored in there and you don't know what to do and that's why, I mean, like, you know, you get crazy. One of the things we know is that kids who go into youth detention are all, like to a person, disengaged from schooling. So the idea that there is a school here, that there is a chance to re-engage them in something, you know, that has a potential to be a, a silver bullet. But whistleblowers within the detention system have told us that the school building at Cleveland was barely used for more than three months, as most of the kids in the centre were kept in their units almost permanently. Ben, let's just summarise some of what you've told me so far. Ricky says that he's been targeted by police. He's been barred from rehabilitation programs in the community. In detention, he was kept in solitary confinement and locked out of getting an education. What kind of future is this setting him up for at the age of 14? So I think the real tragedy here is that people who care about Ricky, and there are a lot of them, you know, uh, social workers, uh, people in youth justice, his family members, know that he's the sort of kid who could break the cycle of crime with the proper support. So, you know, to some he's this vulnerable child and in a lot of ways he is. He's 14. He's a young person and he's in need of support. Mm. I think to others he's really only ever going to be a hardened criminal who belongs in a cell and for who the system can really find no other option. Ben, have the actions of the police in this story and throughout Ricky's childhood made the community safer? Children like Ricky have been really heavily demonised in the youth justice debate that's ongoing in Queensland. So Natalie Lewis, who's a Gamilaroi woman and a commissioner of the Queensland Family and Child Commission, talked to me about the fact that one of the challenges that exists is sort of the tone and the narrative around how we characterise young people 
And that's led to this situation where people have come to see children's rights and victims' rights as this kind of either-or proposition. But the logic from some people is, you know, why should we feel sorry for someone like Ricky? Why should we even tell his story when there are people who are simply going about their lives who are victims of crime? And the answer to that is that caring about these kids is fundamentally about caring about our communities and how our communities can be made safe. So what we're talking about here is a system that's become so punitive, so void of any kind of rehabilitation, that it's failing both the kids and the communities that it's attempting to keep safe. The government knows. It has done its own studies that show that detention without rehabilitation does not work. And it knows that the way to reduce crime is to reduce the numbers of kids in the criminal justice system. But the question now is... How do we reframe this whole debate so that it can be a little less about the emotion of the issue and more about the strategies that we know already work? That was Ben Smee, Queensland correspondent for Guardian Australia, and the voice of Ricky was portrayed by voice actor Trey Williams-Stewart. Ben's full series on the Queensland youth detention system is called Written Off, and it's being published all throughout the week. You can read a bit more about Ricky's story and many other young people's story in youth detention in the series right now at theguardian.com. If listening to this episode has raised any issues for you, support is available. In Australia, the Crisis Support Service Lifeline can be found on 131114. This episode was produced by me, Miles Herbert, Alison Chan and Camilla Hannon, who also did the sound design and mixing. The music by Joe Koning. The executive producer is Miles Matignoni. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.